Mark chapter 2 right into the Word. Here is our headline for today. The disciples pick grain. Jesus picks a fight. It's quite a passage here. Mark chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 23. It's the Sabbath day. We're going to see two Sabbath days in a row. We're going to see Jesus upset people twice. He picks a fight. One Sabbath, Jesus was going through the grain fields. And as his disciples were walking along, they began to pick some heads of grain. The disciples said to him, Look, what are they doing? What is unlawful? Why are they doing what is unlawful on the Sabbath? I mean, the... The religious police are watching Jesus and his disciples rather closely. They're walking through the grain fields. They're hungry. And and so they're just going to take a little grain and eat. The problem was the Pharisees looked at that as as threshing, which was working on the Sabbath. Listen to Jesus' answer. Pretty wild answer. He answered, verse 25, Have you never read that when David did what David did when he and his companions were hungry and in need? In the days of Abathar, the high priest, he entered the house of God and ate the consecrated bread, which is lawful only for priests to eat. And he also gave some to his companions. Jesus answers these guys and says, You're getting all upset with my disciples. They are simply breaking one of your rules one of your traditions. God made an exception for King David and his companions when they actually did break one of God's laws. No way to get around this. It was against the law for them to eat the showbread. And yet, because of this human need, God allowed them to do this. And Jesus says, you're so mixed up. God allowed that to happen, and yet now you're going to come in here on something that's only one of your rules and regulations and get upset with me and my disciples? Doesn't make sense. Then go to verse 27. Then he said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. That is a life-changing statement. Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So verse 28, the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. What's he saying? You guys have got this thing, yes, so complicated that you have forgotten the simple, original purpose of the Sabbath. It was made to bless man. It was made to give you a break. It was made to make life easier. And you've taken it, and you've made it more complicated. God actually didn't have a lot of rules about the Sabbath. What He said is, you need to not work, and you need to rest. And they took that and made all kinds of rules. Reminds me of some of the things we've done in our tradition around the Lord's Supper. The instructions are rather simple. Remember me. We drew all kinds of rules up. You can't sing during the Lord's Supper. Can't leave your pew during the Lord's Supper. Can't talk to somebody during the Lord's Supper. Because we drew some rules up that weren't there when the commandment was rather simple. Here's what I want you to do in that time. You remember me. And so, um, well, they're not too happy about that. Now, go on to chapter 3. It says, another time Jesus went in the synagogue. Now, three gospels have these stories back to back. So most scholars believe it's one Sabbath after the next Sabbath. 
So on the next Sabbath, we see another scene. A man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them, here they are, were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. You ever been under that kind of microscope? Where someone was so critical, they were simply looking for a reason? That's what they're doing with Jesus. I mean, they, they are out in force. They're wanting to see him blow it. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus, so they watched him closely to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath. You got this man with a shriveled arm. You got Jesus here. You got the Pharisees. Now, my goodness, if you're Jesus' PR consultant at this point, what do you say to him? Dude, please, just stop it. Do not do this. And this guy's got a shriveled hand. He's not about to die. You can wait till Sunday. Wait one day on Sunday and you heal him and nobody's going to be upset. Or at least, Jesus, pull him to the side and go private with this thing because you are getting us all in trouble. And Jesus, you don't have to do it this way. You don't have to pick a fight here. Uh-oh. <laughs> Guess what Jesus does? He picks the fight. Look at verse 3. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, Stand up in front of everyone. You're one of the side, you're going, Oh no, it's coming. He's about to do it. They're about to get mad. We got another mess on our hands. It was bad enough last Sabbath when we ate the grain and they got all over us. And here they can go again. Then Jesus, verse 4, asked them, Which is lawful on the Sabbath? To do good or to do evil? To save life or to kill? He's got them. And therefore, they remain silent. What's the Sabbath about? Doing good things or bad things? Healing or killing? Oh, because they had so many regulations. Now, if your life was in danger, let's say you were bleeding profusely on the Sabbath day, here's what you could do according to their regulations. You could stop the bleeding, but that's all you could do. You could do no operations. You could go no further. If you're out one day and a friend of yours has a wall to fall on them, here's their rules. You can pick the rubble up around the guy to see whether he's alive or dead. If he's alive, you can help him. Isn't that nice of him? If he's dead, you better leave his body there and not move it till the next day. I mean, guys, it is so crazy. And so Jesus nails them here. And then, now he nails them. Jesus is flat, angry. He looked around at them in anger. Listen, only time in all the Gospels this word for anger is used. We have lots of scenes where Jesus is angry, but this is the scene where it says it. He was angry at them and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. It hurts God, the originator of the Sabbath, to see the perversion the Sabbath is turned into that does nothing but hurt people. And he's mad about it. You want to make Jesus mad? You treat people wrong. You want to make Jesus mad? You're more upset about someone breaking one of your petty rules than this guy with a shriveled hand getting healed. You got him mad. Stretch out your hand. Jesus said to the man, he stretched it out. His hand was completely restored. Wow, you think that would finally get him quiet. Look at verse 6. This is a shocking verse. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. If you want to underline something, underline that word Herodians. 
That's a shocking statement. I'll tell you in a minute why. Now here's two questions we're going to answer this, this morning. Why are the Pharisees so fighting mad? And then we're going to answer the question, why is Jesus so fighting mad? The, the fact is, the Pharisees are more than fighting mad, they are killing mad. I mean, this scene pushes them over the edge where they say, we're going to kill this guy. Why are they so mad? Listen to me. You see this little statement up there. They even team up with the Herodians. Guys, this is crazy. These are polar opposites in their day. They were arch enemies. The Pharisees were on one side of culture. The Herodians were on the other side of the culture. Who were the Herodians? They were Jewish people that were cooperating with the Roman governors. They had made peace. They weren't very religious. They were the secularists of their day. The, the Pharisees are the strictest religious people of their day. And, and they make this, this compact with their arch enemies. That ever happened in history? Well, sure it does. World War II. Who's one of our biggest allies in World War II? The Soviet Union. We even tried to make Joseph Stalin look good. We called him Uncle Joe. Why? Because we, we had a common enemy that we were willing to put aside some differences, despite the fact he was a murderer on the scale of Hitler, we, we put those aside. Sometimes history has some, some strange bedfellows. And guys, this is one of the strangest of them all. Because on one side, you have the uptight religious folks. On the other side, you have the secularists who really don't care about God. On one side, you have the folks who think, we got it all right, and all of you are wrong. And on the other hand, we've got the arrogant folks going, you know what? You guys are so backwards, and we are so progressive, and we're so open-minded, and you're so closed-minded. I mean, it's amazing. Now, this would be about like Barack Obama and John Boehner getting together and working on something this week. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it just doesn't happen. Unless you lose your senses. These guys have lost their senses. Why are they so mad? So mad they'll even hook up with their arch enemies to kill Jesus. Why would they do that? Let me give you two reasons. Number one, Jesus breaks tradition. He breaks their tradition. You say, well, buddy, is tradition wrong? Is it? No. Tradition is neutral. Tradition is neither right nor wrong. Tradition is just tradition. Tradition is just the way you do things, all right? How many of you grew up in a church? You had three songs, a prayer, a song, the Lord's Supper, a song, the sermon, a song, and closing prayer. How many of you grew up in church like that? Was there anything wrong with that order? Anybody ever been in a church like that where someone changed the order and put the Lord's Supper at the end? I've seen people go crazy about that. Now, 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 what's the problem with tradition? The problem with tradition is when tradition becomes law. And that's their problem here. They thought their traditions were law. And, and they weren't. They equated them with the Word of God. God's commandments have been rather simple. Go out and rest and don't work. And they come up with this hedge of traditions. Now listen to me. Their motives were not all bad when it started. Here's the, the command of God. Don't break the Sabbath law. Rest. Don't work. Okay. Well, let's make sure we don't. So here's what you do. If you're wise, you do this. You put a fence around it because you don't even want to get close to it. I mean, we do that. 
Now, the problem is not that you ever put a fence up. The problem is when your fence becomes the law for everybody else. For instance, we know what Jesus said about lust. If a man lusts in his heart, it's like adultery. Well, many of us have drawn some fences to make sure those things don't happen as easily. We say, okay, dancing leads to to lust often, often leads to some bad things. So we put a fence up there and say, you know, many of us grew up in churches where we said dancing was absolutely sinful. Guys, I'm not telling you you should tell your kids to dance or not dance. But I am telling you this, that's not the law of God. You allow your fence to become the law for everybody else. Some of you have been so convicted about the trash on TV, I admire you. You've cut your TV set off. You say, We're not, I'm not even going to expose my family to it. My TV is out the door. Is that a wise thing to do? I, I think probably so. But can, can, can you, if you see your brother or sister watching TV, all of a sudden go, Uh-oh, my goodness, they're sinning. No doubt about it. See, that's the problem, guys. You, you, you take the law of God, you expand it so you don't break it, and then you make your fence the same thing as the law of God. Are y'all getting it? Y'all look at me like you're mad at me. <laughs> okay? I, I just want to be a, I want you to understand this because we can do the same thing. Now, how far had they gone? You know, he, here was their weight limit. You could not carry anything that weighed more than a dried fig. <laughs> There's the deal. You could not walk from your house more than 1,999 steps. You walk step 2,000, you are a sinner bound for hell. All right? This is their rules. If you're throwing a rock in the air, if you catch it with the same hand you threw it with, you're okay. If you catch it with the other hand, you broke the law. I mean, guys, it is hundreds of minutiae of these laws. And I'm going to tell you, people got mad when they were broken. You've seen it when someone broke that order of service. I can remember years ago in church, the first time we said, let's get up and greet. Some of you remember this man. There was a man who went crazy that that was so wrong because he'd never been in church where they greeted each other. He thought it was unbiblical, unscriptural. That's They're mad because Jesus breaks tradition. And we can be the same way. So we got to really, we got to delineate between what is the law of God and what is tradition. It's a big time question. Now why else are they mad? They're mad because again, Jesus claims divinity. When Jesus said, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath, he's saying I'm the originator of the Sabbath. And who originated the Sabbath was God. And and here that, you know, we saw this in the last chapter. Here we go again. He's claiming to be God. Listen, it drove them crazy. They thought it was blasphemy. And again, listen to me. It still drives people crazy today for us to claim that Jesus was the Son of God. Listen, Jesus makes people uncomfortable today like he did then. And you watch it on TV. Why, Why does Jesus make people so uncomfortable? Because of his claims to be God. I mean, everybody's okay with, wow, Jesus was this sweet, compassionate guy, man. Jesus was the master teacher. Everybody's willing to say that. But when you start saying Jesus is the exclusive way to God, then you got some folks fighting mad in our culture today. You start praying, not just a prayer, but in Jesus' name, and network TV will cut you off. 
Why? Because his claims still make people mad. Now listen to me, guys. Jesus does not leave you the choice to say, he's just a nice, sweet, great teacher. I mean, guys, think about his claims. He claims to forgive sins. He claims to be Lord of the Sabbath. He claims that he is the only way to God. I like how one writer put it. Jesus is either a liar. He said those things and they're not true. Or he's a lunatic. He said them. They're not true. He doesn't know they're not true. He's just flat crazy. And what would you do? We talked about it last week. If someone walked into your house and said, I just want you to know that I'm forgiving your sins. <laughs> no, 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 no. You have no right to forgive my sins unless you're God. Maybe he's just crazy. Either he's a liar or he's a lunatic. Or here's the deal. He is the Lord. And either if he's a liar or a lunatic, you ought to get out of this place as quick as you can and run. Or if he's the Lord, you ought to bow on your face and make him the Lord of your life. He doesn't leave you those options. And that's why these people are so awfully mad. Because they understand what he's saying. So they're mad. Jesus is mad. Why is Jesus fighting mad? Well, I think for Jesus, guys, there's a lot at stake here. What's at stake is, is the message of God bad news or is it good news? I hope you'll write notes here. I'm about to give you some contrasts between a legalistic view of Christianity and a grace-centered view of Christianity. Is, is your salvation based on your law-keeping ability or is it based on the grace of God? That, that's the contrast. And for Jesus, he knows this. He did not have to pick this fight, guys. Here's why he picks the fight. Because he's got to get over what's really important. If these nicky-nacky rules can stay in place where nobody can actually obey God, and you got to obey God 100% to be right with God, we got some really bad news on our hands. And so Jesus said, i, I got to fight this one. Well, let me give you the contrast. Okay, bad news. If I perform, I'm accepted. That's what legalism says. You keep the commands correctly, and then God will accept you. What's the problem with that, guys? Help me. Nobody can do it. Nobody can keep all the commands correctly. So that's what the Old Testament proved. Nobody could do it. And yet we come along today, and sometimes we see the same things, okay? If I, keep, if I perform correctly, then I'm accepted by God. Grace says, I'm accepted by God, therefore, I want to perform correctly. You see the difference? This says, my salvation is dependent on how well I obey. This says, I want to obey because God has been so good to me. That's the core of the issue, guys. People say, well, buddy, what you're teaching, people are going to want to go out and they're not going to want to obey because, you know what, you're saying you're not saved by rules. Listen to me, my friends. I believe if you understand the good news, you're going to want to obey a whole lot more than you will under the bad news. Because when it's just, okay, if I can get this correctly, the question is always this. How much do I have to do? How many times do I have to go to church? How many folks do I have to help? Who is my neighbor? How many blocks do I have to travel to help a neighbor? Is it someone on the other side of town? Is it someone in Malawi? I mean, we begin to draw lines because 
Legalism leads you to say, how much can I do? How much do I have to do? The good news leads you to say, how much do I get to do? God, you've been so good to me. Despite the fact I can't get it right, you saved me. Next contrast, contrast number two. The bad news, legalism, is a burden. The good news, grace, is a blessing. Because that's what's happening here with the Sabbath. Here's the crazy deal. The Sabbath was created by God to bless man. God didn't create it to create some kind of loophole to catch you on some kind of sin so He could condemn you. God created it so that you could rest and so that you could get refreshment. It was a blessing. The Pharisees had turned it into a complicated burden. Guys, here's some good news for you today. God's laws were created to bless you, not to burden you. I mean, Jesus says this. He says, let me tell you guys, my yoke is easy. My burden is light. You come to Christ, He's not saying, I'm going to add so much to your life, it's going to be miserable and maybe you'll make it to heaven. Jesus says, you know what? I've got a perfect fitting yoke that will actually make your life better and it will bless you. Listen to me, guys. Here's, here's the difference. God is for you. He's for you. And that's what the Pharisees had misunderstood. They had added crushing burdens to people. Because it, it, it even exists today. When a group of us went to Israel a few years ago, we were at our hotel in Jerusalem, it was really fascinating. On the Sabbath day, Every button on the elevator was on. You had to stop on every floor. Why? Because to touch the button was work. So it it was, I mean, when you got those kind of rules, it's a crushing burden instead of a blessing. I've been trying to think all week. What's an example among us of what we've turned from a blessing into a burden? Here's the best one I can come up with. I think many of us turn baptism from a blessing to a burden. Where baptism was meant to be a beautiful marker in your life, to celebrate that God's forgiving your sins, that the Holy Spirit's coming into your life, that you're being born into the family. Many of us turned it into a burden. The the spotlight was turned from what God is doing for you to what you are doing for God. And do you get it correctly right? Do you understand everything perfectly? Did you understand the words perfectly? Were you baptized perfectly? Did your stinking hand pop up in the middle of the baptism? Anybody ever been there where they threw a penalty flag? <laughs> Whoop! Hand popped up. Do it again. And guys, because of the way we looked at it, because of that focus, many of us, including myself, have been baptized more than one time. Why? Because it became a burden. Because every time I learned something new about baptism, I needed to be rebaptized. And every time I looked back, I figured out I hadn't done something exactly correctly. I didn't do it right in my mind. I didn't. Listen, guys. Baptism was not meant to be a burden in your life. It was meant to be a blessing. I love the lady baptized last Sunday. She said, I just need a marker to tell me I'm right with God. That's what it's about. Now let's go to the next contrast, guys. Trying to be real specific here today. Are you motivated by fear or are you motivated by love? Legalism leads to complete fear in your life. 
Because who can ever get it right if you're honest? But here, here's what grace does. It motivates you by love. That's why I think grace will take you further. Oh, there's going to be some folks that are going to abuse grace. But I'm going to tell you, it'll motivate you like nothing else. Number four. The bad news is about ritual. The good news is about people. That's what's making Jesus mad here. Their ritual had become more important than people. There's all kinds of scenes like this. There's another scene. John chapter 5, where a paralyzed man, he's been paralyzed 38 years, is healed on guess which day? Sabbath. Jesus, would you stop it, please? Nope, not going to stop it. Healed on the Sabbath. And they go crazy. Can you imagine? You're in that midst, and a guy's been paralyzed for 38 years, and he gets up and walks, and you're going to be mad. Let me tell you, it's mad. But guys, we could do the same thing. I've been in services where people rededicated their life to the Lord, or someone was baptized into Christ, and someone would be in the foyer mad. Because someone clapped after the baptism. Or because the guy leading the Lord's Supper, you ever been here? Led the cup prayer before the bread prayer. You ever been there? Man, people get mad about that stuff. Despite the fact that in one of the Gospels, Jesus does the cup prayer before the bread prayer. Now, now, here's what kills me. Somebody is saved, and yet I'm going to get in the foyer and get all mad about some nicky-nacky rule that we made up. Can I say this? We can be an awful lot like them. What a shame. Because Jesus says, I want it to be about people. Even the Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 1, Jesus says to his people, I am so sick and tired of your Sabbaths. He basically says, I hate your Sabbaths, because they're doing that. And what I want you to do is go out and treat people right and live with justice and peace. That's what I really want. The Pharisees were such stickler for details, but they were merciless toward people. And we can be the same, can't we? That's what first made me restudy marriage, divorce, and remarriage. I'm making a point here today, I'm just telling you. The traditional view seemed merciless toward people. It created a category of people that God said could never marry no matter what. That I'm not proving anything right now. I'm just saying, that made me go, I better look at this thing. This doesn't sound like Jesus. Is that really what God's saying? So... Guys, listen, the contrast, it can be about ritual, it can be about people. And and number five, here's the outcome. The the legalistic end leads you to be proud. The gospel leads you to be humble. The legalistic end ends you patting yourself on the back saying, I did it, I accomplished it, I'm a good person. The grace side leads you ending up saying, wow, isn't God awesome? Man, I'm just a sinner that he saved. So, let's close out this way. Jesus picked a fight he didn't have to pick. He picked the fight for you. Why? Because he wants us right here in this place to be able to speak good news. 
He picked the fight he didn't have to fight on the Sabbath day because he wanted to make a point that the gospel is good news and that you can't let men take the word of God and pervert it to the point that it becomes more of a burden than a blessing, more of a condemnation than a giver of hope. Now listen closely to me. He wants you to have rest. Jesus came to restore the true meaning of the Sabbath. That God cared enough about you to not just carve out a day. That's just a, a foreshadowing what God wants to give you. But God wants you to have rest for your soul. You see, when Jesus says, I am the Lord of the Sabbath, that's a big statement. He didn't say I'm Lord over the Sabbath. He said, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath. What he is really saying there is, I am your Sabbath rest. I can bring you rest. I can bring you peace. Today, I'm sure there are people in this assembly who need rest. Maybe work is so crushing. Maybe your family issues are so big. Maybe your health issues are so dominating that you need rest. And Jesus says, let me be that rest. Put your faith in me that everything's going to be okay in the long run. Every bad thing in your life one day will be good. Or maybe today you need rest because of religion. It's been more of a burden than a blessing. It's led you to more guilt than joy. You can never do enough. You can never be good enough. Every Sunday you feel like you leave with more to do. Listen, Jesus said, I want to give you rest. How many of you in here need some rest? Pretty fascinating. The end of creation, end of God's mighty act of creation God says, it is finished, and God rested. At the end of God's mighty act of redemption on the cross, God says, it is finished, now you and I can rest. We can rest. The work has been done. And I ask you this morning, do you need some rest? You need to hear the words of Jesus. It's finished. You rest now. If today you're worn out and burdened, I'm telling you, this front row is a place of rest and peace. Maybe you need to come up here and just say, i got to have it. My life has led me to turmoil and a lack of peace, and even at times my religion or my lack of understanding or my misunderstanding or the way I was brought up has led me to not have the peace that God wants me. I'm so tired of this burden could i just take it off and put it on the shoulders of jesus do you need rest then why don't you come and let us know that so we can pray for you come right now while we stand and sing